You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I'm a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. Unpaid caregiving provided by family and friends plays a very important role in society. From a financial perspective, it greatly reduces impact associated with healthcare services. And from a human perspective, those receiving care are able to remain in a familiar setting with loved ones, maintaining a positive quality of life. Stats Canada estimates that in 2018, approximately one in four Canadians aged 15 and older, or about 7.8 million people, provided care to a family member or friend with a long-term health condition, a physical or mental disability, or problems related to aging. But who is supporting our caregivers, those who selflessly give of their space, time, emotions, and finances? This is what we are talking about today on the Health Hub with our guest, Dr. Aaron Blight. Dr. Blight is an international speaker and consultant on caregiving, aging, and healthcare. His book, When Caregiving Calls, Guidance as You Care for a Parent, spouse or aging relative, received a 2020 Best Indie Book Award, a 2021 IPPY Award, and a 2022 Mom's Choice Award. The founder of Caregiving Kinetics, Dr. Blight has served as a family caregiver, home care company owner, caregiving scholar, and policy leader at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. His doctoral degree is from George Washington University, and he is an adjunct professor of public health at Shenandoah University. Dr. Blight is an honorary board member of the Wellspells Association and serves on the advisory boards of Seniors First, as well as the Duet Meaning and Hope Institute. This is a topic that needs focus, uh, as mentioned uh, just above in the intro. Um, so many positive benefits come to us as a society from those who take on the selfless role of caregiving. But we do need to examine how this impacts the caregiver. In the show, we talk about why self-care for caregivers is so is so important for developing resilience, how a family member learns to fulfill the caregiver role for a loved one, what is the value of getting a caregiver support group, and what are some of the unexpected rewards that can come from caregiving. 
Please stay tuned. We will be back in just a few minutes to talk to Dr. Blight. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Blight, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. You know, you are, I was saying to you uh, just before we started the show, I feel like we've had you booked for quite a long time. You're a, a, a company owner, a company founder, an author, sought after keynote speaker. Why is the topic of caregiving so relevant to so many? Well, because caregiving is so pervasive, uh, the chances are very, very high that at some point in your life, you're going to be involved in a caregiving relationship, either as a caregiver or a care receiver. And the numbers are, are astounding. Some one in five adults are currently providing unpaid informal caregiving assistance to a family member at, at any given time. So it's everywhere. More so now than throughout history? Absolutely, Kathy. It really has to do with our aging society. Um, with all of the modern advancements in healthcare, we are blessed with the ability to live longer lives. But with that, we are living longer lives with uh, health conditions. And oftentimes, those health conditions require some type of caregiving assistance. And so the numbers of caregivers will increase in the future. This must take a lot of the burden off the healthcare system as well. Is that part of the shift? Are, are we pricing ourselves or is the healthcare system pricing us out of professional caregivers? Well, I appreciate that you asked that, uh, Kathy, because I like to say that uh, that family caregivers are really the secret of the long-term care delivery system because they are the they are the unsung heroes of healthcare. Uh, we do have formal caregivers and and we have medical providers and those that provide supportive assistance in facilities. But uh, most care actually occurs in the home and the people delivering that care are the the people who live in the home, the family caregivers. And um, it's really only when we go to a doctor's office or into a facility that we're relying on professionals to provide that care. So, um, and I know that you're in Canada. I I don't have in the, in my mind freshly the uh, the number of on family caregivers in Canada. I I did have that at one time, <laughs> but I don't have the latest and greatest data on that uh, off the top of my head. Well, have you? Through COVID, um, you, you know there was uh, I, I, here in Canada the 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 holes in you know long term care facilities. You know they they were shown. They came to light. Uh, I'm sure as they did in the states. Have you seen even a more pronounced number of home caregivers throughout and after the pandemic? Well, absolutely. There, there was definitely during COVID a period of time where people were removing their loved ones from facilities, uh, and that's understandable. They were concerned about uh, the safety of their loved ones, 
And I think that that was very pronounced in Canada. Um, and so some of the some of the the shortcomings of long-term care facilities were manifested. Um, and you know, at the same time, family caregivers may not be in a position to be able to care for a loved one, especially if their needs are 24, 7, 365, right? Um, you may, uh, there, the, the needs of your loved one may expand your capability to, to meet them. And in those types of situations, you may need to have your loved one in a facility. And if the facility is, is following proper safety protocols, um, you know, it should be okay for them to be there. Well, there's a practicality versus, you know, the, the emotional aspect of this, correct? I mean, we're financially, the burden financially, as well as the stress that we'll get into after, all of these need to be considered when we're talking about the decision to take care of a loved one at home. Is there any you know, are there, other than yourself, who is you know very entrenched in this space, who can caregivers or potential caregivers speak to to get you know, a, a somewhat lay of the land of what may happen or will happen as they take someone into their home? Well, there are a lot of uh, potential resources. Kathy, and I, I do like to refer people to the resources in their local community. Um, it, some of this really is based upon the needs of the care receiver and where you live. But uh, one, one group that I like to really talk about is caregiver support groups. Those are often available in local communities. They also can be found online. They might be organized around specific disease conditions, but they also might be organized around the relationship of the care giver to the care receiver. And uh, so if you're able to find a caregiver support group that's that's local within your community that seems to fit your situation, you'll find uh, usually a facilitator, perhaps some some local professionals that will come and provide assistance. And you'll also meet other family caregivers that are confronting the same challenges in their families. And by sharing information and learning from each other, you can get a better idea maybe of, of how to manage the situation better. Mm -hmm. Has your career always centered around this this area of expertise of caregiving? <laughs> Not, I guess non-professional caregiving is probably how I should classify it. Well, it, I kind of fell into it. I was uh, many years ago. I was actually in national healthcare policy in the in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I worked in the federal Medicaid program, which in the U.S. was oriented toward low income families and children and disabled people. And I was writing national care policy for elderly and disabled people. And um, I didn't really understand a whole lot about what it meant to be elderly or disabled at that time. But that changed when my mother-in-law got a brain tumor. And she was given a very short uh, time to live by the doctors. They recommended immediate brain surgery. 
And so she had cutting edge brain surgery at Johns Hopkins University. She lived for five and a half years after that original diagnosis. She was a miracle, but we became family caregivers and our lives were upended. We, our lives were transformed as a result of that experience. And after she passed away, I made a decision to, to leave national health policy and open my own home care company. And it was during this time that I really came to understand and appreciate the universality of caregiving, but also how intensely personal it can be. And we served thousands of families throughout the uh, the state of Virginia and West Virginia, here where I live. And uh, I went back to school also and, and got my uh, doctoral degree. And I'm not a medical doctor, Kathy. I just want to make sure that your listeners know that. Okay. I am. Uh, I'm a. My doctoral degree is actually in learning. And uh, but I I have studied uh, and continue to study caregiving as a transformative learning experience. And so after selling my home care business, I kind of looked at at where I have been personally and professionally and realized that, you know, between the the policy of caregiving, the family caregiving experience, the business of caregiving, the study of caregiving, this is kind of uh, my thing. And I really wanted to be able to help other caregivers in that, some of their, their challenges. And so that's, that's what led me to do this. At what point did your book, When Caregiving Calls, Guidance as You Care for a Parent, Spouse, or Aging Relative, at what point in this journey of yours did the idea come from and then the completion of the book? Well, I started writing the book for a little while and um, I got it. I can't remember. I think I, I, I got it maybe about half of the way through. And I did not want to write a long-winded book. <laughs> I wanted to write something that was going to be concise and accessible to people. And uh, so the book was kind of on hold for probably about a year. And then my my wife, uh, for my 50th birthday, this was in 2020, she got me a, a cabin in the woods and uh, called it Think Week. And uh, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with Bill Gates. Bill Gates has something called Think Week that he does twice a year. And we were just watching this show and it was showing Bill Gates with the cabin in the woods for Think Week. And I just offhandedly said to my wife, oh, that looks that looks pretty cool. I'd like to do that someday. Well, she she remembered <laughs> and she got me this, uh, this Think Week. Uh, she created that opportunity for me. So I went out to the woods and and uh, this actually, Kathy, I was in the cabin in the woods with no cell phone connectivity when COVID hit in, in uh, oh. 2020 and the, the world just went nuts. And mm-hmm. I, I was blissfully unaware and I was writing my book. My book was brought back to life and um, because everything had kind of uh, shut down, I was able to really concentrated on that even after the the think week and continued to write it and ultimately it was published in October of 2020 and how does this uh, how does your book assist caregivers what is the uh, are there multiple angles that you are tackling or is there a definite bent uh towards your 
towards your focus of this book. Yeah, thank you. So the book, um, as I was writing when caregiving calls, I just I can I kept thinking about the average family caregiver and what do they need to know. And, you know, there's so much focus on the tasks of caregiving all the time because the tasks of caregiving never end. And the the sad part about it is if if all that you're focused on as a family caregiver is the tasks of caregiving, then yes, you'll accomplish uh, the, those tasks. But uh, you you may not appreciate how your relationship is changing with your loved one, how your view of yourself and maybe the world is changing and how you're learning and growing and developing as a human. And um, as you really start to focus on some of the social and the relationship and the emotional and even the spiritual aspects of caregiving, um, you're actually going to be able to be a better caregiver. And so the book focuses really more on the social and relationship aspects of care. And um, so there are 18 chapters. Each chapter covers a a topic that is relevant to most family caregivers. And uh, and then at the end of each chapter, I added questions for reflection. And this, I think, is a part of the book that makes it a little bit different. You know, I wanted to uh, write a book that was that didn't just inform family caregivers. I was hoping to provide a resource that could potentially transform uh, their experience. And we know that in adult learning research, that intentional reflection is a gateway to learning. And so after each chapter, uh, the questions for reflection are designed to prompt the family caregiver to really reflect upon what they read in the chapter and apply it to their individual caregiving situation and even write or journal their thoughts and feelings about uh, these issues. And then at the end of the book, they can kind of take an inventory. They're invited to to take an inventory of, of what they've reflected on and, and written and develop a some some priority action items to improve their situation. Um, <clears throat> so the book, I think, by using it that way as not just a, a book to read, but a resource for reflection and learning and growth, um, it really can be very useful for caregivers. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I've, I've had some pretty humbling feedback, amazing feedback from family caregivers that have used the book this way. Um, I'm thinking, for example, of, of one lady who guessing was in her late 70s. And she told me that she had been a caregiver for her mother for 14 years. And then most recently for six years, she had been caring for her husband. And she took, she, she used the book as a resource in this way. She read the chapters and then she journaled and writ, wrote her, her thoughts and feelings. And she, she said to me, she said, I've been a caregiver for 20 years and I learned more about myself and more about caregiving just by doing this with this, with this journaling than I have all 20 years combined. And she said, I'm not going to share what I wrote with anyone. And I said, well, that's that's okay. That's the point. You know, you don't have to share it with anyone. 
but you've gained insights uh, into yourself and your circumstances, and and that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that we appreciate the emotional, the stress, all of the things that go in to being a caregiver. I have witnessed it from close relatives from the outside. Uh, I have watched how people my age, my relatives my age, have cared for and lovingly, lovingly cared for in-laws, their own parents. Um, and, And I think if you are not in that position, if you are not living day to day, I don't think you can appreciate. I really don't. As much as I, I am so in awe of these people that have taken care of my family relatives, um, you, you know, just to talk with them on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis is it, it's just a small insight into how impactful taking um, a loved one into your home can be on relationships between spouses, relationships between you and your children. It is, but the, the flip side of it is that there is also so much that you can take away, you know, when being a caregiver. And I've seen both aspects of that. Um, it's a complicated tough situation to be in. Um, And what I would like to do the second half is to really delve into maybe your personal experiences as a caregiver and how, you you know, you need to, with the help of your book, with the help of resources, step away and really focus on things that you may not even be considering are going awry. So when we get back with the second half of the show, I think everyone, that's where we're going to focus because um, as I say, unless you've really witnessed it firsthand or are a caregiver, there's so many things that that I think should be eye-opening to people um, because caregivers are, are just wonderful, wonderful people. So everyone, sorry for the long-winded end of the show or end of this segment, but we'll be back in just a minute to continue on with this conversation. You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking about non-professional caregiving with our guest, Dr. Aaron Blight. Um, Dr. Blight, so getting back the, to what I ended off the show with, there are so many things that um, caregivers can take away from what they do, positive and negative. Um, and from those that I've witnessed, there was it was it was not easy taking care of of sick people, bringing them into their home. Um, but I also witnessed and heard from them, they experienced such a loss when these people passed. How how do you even begin to, you know, rectify all these conflicting emotions that a caregiver can possibly have? Well, that's a great question, Kathy. And it's a question that family caregivers frequently ask themselves over time. There's a lot of ambiguity in caregiving and kind of roller coaster of emotions. Um, I'm involved with a group called the Duet Meaning and Hope Institute, and um, they focus on supporting family caregivers of people with dementia. 
and some of their work is anchored in the research of Dr. Pauline Boss, who coined the term ambiguous loss. And um, that, I think, really represents some of the the inherent uh, difficulty in providing supportive care to a loved one who is is losing their physical capacity, their mental capacity, their ability to maybe be aware of what's around them. Um, and at the same time, you you they're there, but they're not there, right? And so, um, family caregivers, and, and this is how I felt with my mother-in-law. I loved my mother-in-law. I wanted to help her. I just resented the fact that she needed help. And that conflict, that internal conflict and turmoil was something that I really, really struggled with. I was I was very young. I mean, I was relatively young at the time. Uh, this hit our family when I was 29 years old. And so I was in, you know, my wife and I became the sandwich generation and we had young children at home. We were trying to raise our young family. And then we suddenly had to start taking care of my mother-in-law and we did that for five and a half years. And that was just not something that we anticipated having to do at that point in our lives. And so for me, um, I felt some resentment. Um, I, I've experienced symptoms of clinical depression, but I did not know that's what it was. Um, and But at the same time, I wanted to be there for my mother-in-law. I loved her. She treated me like a son from the moment that I started dating her daughter. She was a great mother-in-law. And so I didn't uh, I didn't resent her. But uh, you know, as the family caregiving continued for us, uh, and as the cancer went into remission for her, in some ways, uh, it was harder because she was more physically capable and um because she lived with us, she ended up affecting, our family dynamics and our parenting of our children. And I remember my my wife was like, I don't want to have two mothers in the home. I want to be the mother. I don't want my mother to be our children's mother. And some of that type of dynamic was emerging among the family members. But, you know, Kathy, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, we just, all that we knew is that Mom needed help, and so we were going to help her. Um, if I had it to do over again, I would probably be a lot better family caregiver. Well, you're so young. And I would imagine the majority of people um, that become caregivers are in your where, you know the situation you were in. They don't know what they're doing. That is very true. And um even even older older adults who find themselves caring for their parents, um, you know, if you're in your in your forties or fifties. In fact, Kathy, even medical professionals um, in my home care company, and then also in caregiving kinetics, as after writing when caregiving calls, I go and I speak to groups all over all over the the world, and I hear from medical professionals, nurses, and physicians who say. Yes, I have this uh, this medical training, and that helps me with understanding my loved one's condition and the progression of the disease and what to expect from a medical standpoint. Uh, but that clinical perspective really does nothing 
offers nothing in terms of the relationship dynamics and the emotional strain of family caregiving. And uh, they often say that they were not prepared for how this was going to affect them emotionally. You know, it's one thing to to take care of a, a stranger in a professional context, providing the medical skills and training that 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 patient needs. Um, it's something totally different when you're taking care of your mother in in her home or in your home and you're helping her with activities of daily living and you're watching her decline. Uh, that can be extremely difficult. This this one area here of uh, this is one topic that I think support groups would be so, so beneficial for, because I would think that the guilt, the conflict, the stress that goes into being a caregiver, that the caregiver, the emotional roller coaster ride that you talk about, um, to have the sense that other people are feeling the same way and not to feel guilty about this. I imagine that you know, what you're cultivating is such a profound, a profoundly strong piece for caregivers. I, I think that it is, Kathy. It, it it does resonate with caregivers. The reason that I share some of my own personal struggles is to just try to be honest and help people recognize that it's okay to have these these kind of negative feelings it's normal um and guilt is is actually very very common among family caregivers um i i actually call them call that one of the g words the two g words are guilt and grief in family caregiving but uh guilt is really something that emerges when you look at yourself in the mirror and you want to have this idealized version of yourself. That's what you think you should be. And then when you look your, look at yourself in the mirror and you fall short of this idealized vision that you've painted in your own mind, you're like, oh, I've I've fallen short and I I I didn't do enough or I or I did too much or you know I wasn't there or I wasn't there. I mean, there's so many ways that family caregivers can can feel guilty. And I really try to simply say. It's okay. You need that same compassion that you have extended to your loved one. You need to extend that same compassion to yourself and let go of that idealized vision of who you think you should be and recognize that this is who you are, who you are, and, and you're doing your very best. And that's all that you can do. And that's enough. On, on a personal note for yourself, um, when your mother-in-law passed away and you had, you know, you had sufficient time um, uh, you know, from being the caregiver, did you have a sense of, you know, being grateful for the experience? Um, uh, maybe that's not the right way of saying it. Um, were you proud of how your family worked together to support your mother-in-law? Well, you know, in, in reflection, uh, in retrospect, Kathy, um, I can honestly say that uh, that my wife and I, we did everything that we could for my mother-in-law at that time. I have no regrets about that. Um, I'm very grateful that we had the chance to be there for her at that uh, difficult time of her life. And, you know, she didn't want to have cancer. Mm -hmm. This wasn't her ideal situation. Um, she didn't want to, <clears throat> she didn't want to have to depend on 
excuse me, I'm sorry. She didn't want to have to depend on us for help with activities of daily living. But um, one of the things that I that I like to point out is you're going to have the rest of your life after your loved ones passes away to reflect upon um, what you did or did not do. And, and it's good to have no regrets. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I, I, you know, again, I have not been a caregiver, but I have seen that with uh, close relatives that have been caregivers. Um, they do feel loss. You know, it's been, it was a trial. It was difficult. Um, but they do feel a, a significant loss um, when they lose the person that they're caregiving for. And I can't help but think that the example that you set for your children will be an indelible mark on them as they move forward. Um, there's so many things to be thankful uh, for for caregivers. Um, and I just, uh, you, you know, this this it's such a, a selfless thing, even if you do feel guilty, even if you fall short of what you think is the best, it's just such a selfless, selfless thing to do. So, you know, for, for you, for all the caregivers out there, I think it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, when you speak with people, when you speak with people, um, how do you encourage resiliency in them um, to, to look beyond, you know, the ups and downs of the daily grind what are key aspects of being a resilient caregiver? That's a that's an important question, Kathy. And, and um, I do talk about building resilience quite a bit. Um, I think there are some different components to it. One is understanding the roles that are inherent in caregiving. Um, you you mentioned this a little bit earlier. You ju- you were saying how caregiving is selfless, and um, that is absolutely true. That's why care uh, caregiving refines us and makes us better human beings, uh, because we are looking out for someone other than than ourselves. But uh, in in the in the caregiving world, the the star of the show is the care receiver. Always, the caregiver is never the star of the show because you're always looking out for the care receiver. And so sometimes it's important for caregivers to recognize that they need to be the star of the show. And what does that mean? We talk about self-care. There's a lot out there about self-care today. Um, I think the term has become a little bit trite, uh, but it's a legitimate concern for caregivers. You have to be uh, mindful of of nurturing your body and and your soul in order to to be well and to thrive. And so sometimes you may have to detach from the caregiving situation and focus on things that will lift your spirit. And that's you have to give yourself permission to do that. Um, another part of resiliency is confronting the hard realities of the situation. Sometimes caregivers want to be in denial about what's happening or they don't want to think about certain things. You know, there are some very, very difficult uh, things that could arise over the course of the caregiving relationship or in the future as you look down the road at what you might, what your loved one might be facing and uh, avoiding that. Um, or failing to to plan for those things can actually make make it much harder. Um, 
you also mentioned something, Kathy, earlier that I think is important in resilience, and and that is taking time to to nurture and to cultivate the rewards that are inherent in the caregiving experience. Um, there's so much focus in the research on burden and stress mm -hmm. that caregivers face. There's not enough in the research about the rewards, but the re the rewards are profound. And uh, all you got to do is ask the caregivers. You know how what how how have you been rewarded by fulfilling this uh, this care related role for your loved one? And they they usually talk about how their um, their relationship with their loved one has improved. They've come to appreciate the simple things in life. They've grown emotionally or spiritually or mentally. Uh, they they've been able to do things that they never thought that they could do. Um, they've gained confidence because they've learned how to provide daily supportive assistance to their loved one. Uh, so there's a lot of really, uh, I think, significant rewards that have come with this. Well, with respect to that, then taking that a step further, after the caregiving has stopped, um, with the passing of a loved one that you are being the significant caregiver to, is there a void? Is there a, a mental piece that needs to be dealt with or should be dealt with uh, with respect to the caregivers? Um, is so much time and effort is devoted by most caregivers as part of their life, and then it just stops. Is there a natural healing, or is this also a place that you think needs to be nurtured by by extra care? That is absolutely a, a sensitive transitional time. And um I I'm thinking of a when I was I mentioned this in when caregiving calls, there was a 66-year-old woman who I met with and and she was her father had just passed away. She had her her mother had passed away previously and she had been caregiving for her father and he he had just recently passed away. And through her tears, she said to me, um, I've realized that I've lost my cheerleaders. My parents were always my cheerleaders. And that always has, has stayed with me. Um, and, you know, whatever your relationship is with your loved one, and no matter what their health was in the, the last uh, years of, or months of their life, um, when you lose a parent or you lose a spouse or you lose a sibling, I mean, you've lost a an important special person in your life and that that will absolutely leave a void and emotionally that's something that you have to to work through and you adjust to life without the person and but the other part of this is the caregiving piece that you're asking about kathy and and um i think of a, a man who had been caring for his wife for 17 years she had a a protracted illness and uh so he left his job to care for her full time and now as she was facing the end of her life he knew that her death was imminent and he he said to me he said i've never told this to anybody but i don't know who i am anymore and i don't know what i'm going to do when she dies and you know that type of loss 
you know, after fulfilling such a spending so much time and effort over years caring for your loved one, that's that's really understandable, and you can't minimize uh, that. So often, professional counseling uh, can really help caregivers to to transition here. But something that I really like to point out to family caregivers is um, you're still the same person. You're just a better version of yourself because you have demonstrated the the loyalty, the love, the commitment, the diligence, the perseverance, uh, all of those things in a caregiving relationship that is required, that was required by your loved one you fulfilled that role and and you're going to be a better a better human as a result of the experience um you know things will change circumstances of your life will change but eventually as you kind of uh, piece together the next steps of your life and the constellation of your life becomes evident to you you'll be able to make your way and you'll never forget your loved one you'll always honor them in your heart I have such a profound respect for the people that I have watched being caregivers. I truly do. And I think this is an important, important show and an important topic. Um, and, and thank you so much for sharing the personal piece of this uh, of, of this topic with us. I think it's important that people can identify with what you're saying through your own experiences. Um, if someone was looking to reach out to you to purchase your book, where is the best place for them to go? My website is caregivingkinetics.com and kinetics is spelled K-I-N-E-T-I-C-S. There are links to the book there. There are also downloadable resources for caregivers. And um, I encourage the family caregivers themselves or professionals that work with family caregivers to, to access those resources. That's why they're there. Um, the book can be found anywhere that, that books are sold online or even in a brick and mortar store. You may have to special order it, but you could get it there. Are any projects, any new books, anything in the offing for you at the moment? Um, one thing that I've tried to work on is models for caregivers and this is in that downloadable resources page on caregivingkinetics.com. But the idea of these models is that it gives you a, a framework to think about your caregiving situation and some language that you can use to talk about your experiences, even with in a caregiver support group setting or with a licensed healthcare professional, licensed mental health counselor or someone like that. Um, and so these models, I've been developing them. They're all anchored in adult learning theory applied in the caregiving context. And I've been thinking, Kathy, about rolling those together into my next book. Hmm. But we'll see. Excellent. You need another week off your think week, another think week <laughs> off. <laughs> Dr. Blake, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure having you here. Thank um, you, I honor you for what you are doing and what you have done in the past. Um, and it, it's as I've, I hope I have got out in the show. I have such a profound respect for people who give of themselves so freely. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kathy. And I honor and respect all that you do to help others as well. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. We will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. 
have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.